Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, Episode 61, in which Anonymous interviews me. A frater who prefers to remain anonymous asked me for some help memorizing the uh, clipothic names attributed to the Ten Sephirot, as well as the esoteric titles, both of which are given in the Practicus grade of the Golden Dawn. I recorded the conversation, went on for a while, and so, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? Hey, how's it going? Good. Well, let's see. I've got the clip off right here, so let's start there. Okay. Okay. So just to run through how I would, you know, just kind of off the top of my head, um, Thaumiel. Um, now, it's interesting that the E-L in every case means uh, the E, the Yod at the end of a noun ma- makes it uh, first person possessive, and the L there's no is, and so the is is implied between the first-person possessive-ized noun and the word God. Hence, Gavriel means God is my strength or my strength is God. So off the top of my head, I don't know the Hebrew word thaum or, or what word it is that is being conjugated this way, but it's being translated as the two contending forces. Easy enough to remember, since I think I think it is, since Keter is ultimate unity, we think of ultimate oneness and unity, uh, Ararita, that kind of thing, Every, everything coming together in Keter, everything reconciled in Keter, so the opposite of that would be two contending forces. Now, it's interesting because in the neophyte, we're taught that the sacred symbol of the triangle is the two contending forces with the one reconciling them, which implies that, I mean, you know, you could make a leap and say that it implies that the tree of life needs the clip-off tree in order to fulfill its own function. There wouldn't be a triangle if there weren't two contending forces to be reconciled. So then, okay, Gogiel, the hinderers. So, uh, Chokmah ultimately enables everything. It creates everything. It's the mercurial, the sperm of all life, the the father of everything, the light that divides into the prism to create everything. So what's the opposite of that? Hindering. So, if you, you know, it's basically you can kind of learn about the nature of, of at least the heavens of Isaiah of the Ten Sephiroth by examining the klipot of each one. So similarly, the concealers... That's kind of interesting because people think of Bina as kind of dark and murky and maybe mysterious, and so it might seem that concealing is uh, is is of the same nature of Bina. But I don't think so. I think of Bina as ultimate uh, revealing, ultimate exposure, uh, walking into the to to the all encompassing void that we can only know as the abyss, looking up from the top of Chesed, but within which all creation unfolds. What's the opposite of that? The concealers. Okay. That's interesting. I don't know. That's an interesting one because the the hoodwink is a concealing of sorts, and it's generally not thought of as a clipothet thing. So, it, but it's satariel. I haven't really uh, investigated the uh, linguistic origin there. So yeah, I mean, I don't know how much help I can be for, for some of these. But at ag shekelot, um, 
the breakers and pieces is very interesting. Since Chesed or Jupiter is expansive and all embracing and all loving, it's it's opposite seeming you know is the breakers and pieces. Now in I don't know if this is mixing too many metaphors. You know, at a certain point, things start to derail when you put put too many examples together that don't quite line up. But uh, in the neophyte, when the Hyrus talks about unbalanced mercy as weakness and lack of will, I wonder if that is the same force that is referred to here as the breakers in pieces. And if so, does that unbalanced mercy, that over-permissiveness, um, Joe Shantz said it, it made him think of uh, Altmont having uh, Hell's Angels and uh, it, it be the the bodyguards, or, you know, having them be the bouncers and, and the security and paying them in beer is just like, that. that that's what he thinks of when he thinks of unbalanced mercy uh, in its klepothic aspect. So that's interesting. Uh, the burners, that's pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. Too much, too much severity will burn uh, Golahab. Tagiriron, yeah, I mean, some of these you just have to kind of memorize. Now, you know, I used to always vibrate the divine name every time I would say these. I'm, I'm not quite as superstitious as I used to be. But the disputers definitely seems uh, like a it rings true for a uh, poisonous or, or clopothic aspect of Tiferet, which is attributed to the center of the soul, the heart, the uh, solar plexus. And um, so when you have two people who, whose solar plexuses are, you know, like two lions that, that are fighting and they're disputing, you know, it's, it's not that they're debating. It's not that they're trying to arrive at truth together or looking at the same thing from two different points of view. They're disputing. They're actively wanting to be right and prove the other wrong. So that's interesting. And uh, we see that, I think, a lot, especially on the internet. The Ravens of Death, Garab Sarek. Now, they, some of these, I, some of these, I think, are in Harry Potter. You know, I mean, some of these are, were borrowed for. It sounds familiar, Garab Sarek. It sounds almost like uh, something from Game of Thrones or or Klingon. Uh, but the Ravens of Death, distributing things to the ends. I'm sure there's like stories and mythologies behind all of these that I just don't know about. Samael is interesting, of course, because he's been popularized by uh, Hellboy. Um, the liar or poison of God. He's also, of course, in the zealotory initiation represented by the Hyrus at one point as the antithesis of Metatron in the, in the sense of being evil. And then, of course, Sandalfon comes in as the reconciler between Metatron and Samael and then takes the place at the opposite place of Metatron so that the two angels on top of the Ark are Keter and Malkut and not um, divinity and evil. It's interesting. Um, Gamaliel, the obscene ones. Now, that's the one, you know, that that when you have a kind of an uptight uh, admin body that, that will get evoked and, you know, you get accused of having letting the Gamaliel run amok, run amok among you if you're um, telling dirty jokes and get everyone, getting everyone laughing before the equinox ritual. Now, Lilith, that's the, the, probably the easiest one to remember and the most offensive to anyone who has any kind of background in any kind of spirituality post-Victorian, uh, Queen of Night and of Demons. That's interesting. I thought she was just the evil woman, but Queen of Night and of Demons. Did I add that? God damn it. Um, so, yeah. She's like the uh, the anti... Um, 
the anti-sandal fun or the anti-Shekinah, uh, the, 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 the princess of the tree of evil, the, the ultimate manifestation uh, uh, in a body of the, the tree of evil in this symbolism um, here specifically, not in Lilith Parade or any other usage. Um, uh, Goloha, Goloha? Goloha or something? Golahab for uh, Gabor. Oh, Golahab, yeah. And then, um, so I'm going to memorize that. I'll probably think of Gabora and the Golahab. You know, things like that. And maybe, um, since that's for Mars, I, th- I could think of the burning of the tower for the burners. You know, like small things like that that will yeah. fill my mind. Or even just imagine, like, okay, Golahab. It almost, I mean, it's plural, the burners. And so if you imagine, what what do we know of Gibura? Okay, well, we know Kamael. Kamael is supposed to have a some kind of really impressive sword. He's the archangel of Gibura. And then Elohim Gibur, meaning the strength of God, the strength of Elohim. Okay. And then that's the uh, divine name. And then the, uh, the seraphim, who are the five fiery angels and they have their own order in uh, of angels in the more mainstream system um <clears throat> and then you get down into mars and what we know about mars post uh you know syncretization with aries as he's the war god and all that so then you get down into the levels of Clipoth. So with all of those other things in mind, if you imagine a manifestation of the most Isaiac version of all of that, and then imagine like a gang of 150 of them running around the streets um, and, and, and not tempered by good, maybe they, they've forgotten what divinity is. If anybody said, you know, we're all one, they'd just laugh and spit at you. That's the Golahab. And they're probably running around with torches, setting things on fire. So that's, that's pretty easy to remember. And then, and then at the same time, you know, then you, you reconnect with Elohim Gibor and the divine nature and say, okay, well, let's keep the, now that I've sort of evoked this by giving it a name and an identity and a, and a picture in my mind, let's keep them you know, kind of under the divine guidance of this more pure uh, form of that energy. And yet we can recognize it when we see it. Then, then, then when you see something in someone's eyes, you go, oh, that's the Golahab. The, like the, the, the unrighteous rage, the, uh, the desire to destroy just for no, no other reason than destroying. So like a man who hits his wife just to assert dominance and get kicked out and, you know, put on the streets. That makes sense. Yeah, and uh, by the image of it, you mean the sigil? No, what I just painted with my description. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to do a sigil, but, uh, you know, I I was much more, because you were saying you were thinking Gibura and the Golahab, and I was imagining a band. Like, you know, if you have, like, uh, Kamael out in front and then the, the Golahab, you know, the, the evil versions of, of, of some Messiah manifestation of, of Kamael or something. So you could do that with all of them, like, uh, which, which gets really interesting because what do you visualize for Chesed? Well, a bunch of serene, you know, maybe fatherly, blue-wearing, loving angels. Now, okay, what's the Isaiah version of that? And then what's the evil version of the Isaiah version of that? And then, you, then it gets really interesting. Then you get into some really surreal kind of Jodorowsky-esque places. Mm-hmm. Quick question. Yeah. Because uh, this, is, this is really helpful. So um, I've noticed, so going through just a couple of grades that I've gone through, these charts that you're given, um, 
you do make use of them, you know, in, in the in the further grades. So I don't know if, if you'd be allowed to how allude to on this or not. But um, so, so will I be working with this, or is this more on the goetic um, adeptus major level? That's do you got basically like an inetzak, and uh, say I get to four seven one day and I become a philosophist? Do I actually utilize this? This no, only, only if if you were in um, the order, you know, maybe 15 years ago, then you could look forward to, you know, working with some of these klepothic entities in the context of attack magic on ex-adepts. But uh, probably in the order that you're in, you won't ever use them, at least not in a formal context. Ah, okay, so he may, he may not test me as much whenever I do decide. But it depends on the strictness of, uh, of the test. I used to want people to at least know the English, you know, maybe not the Hebrew names. Sounds good. And then let's see, but the esoteric titles, I'm still looking for those uh, because those are more fun. Okay, here we go. Okay, so there's a few things that can that can immediately be pointed out about the esoteric titles. Like, for example, some of them have two titles and some of them have one. The ones that have two are... The Emperor, the Lovers. Okay, so immediately we can tell that since the Emperor and the Hierophant are both referring to zodiacal signs, then there's no real solid pattern that can be discerned because uh, the Hierophant has one title and the Emperor has two. So some of them have one, some of them have two. The ones that are that correspond to the three mother letters, the Fool, the Hanged Man, and Judgment, Air, Water, and Fire... Uh, are all similar in that the fool is the spirit of the ethers, the hanged man is spirit of the mighty waters, and judgment is spirit of primal fire. So they're all three spirits, and there are no other titles that are called spirit that are not the mother letters. So so then the only thing you need to remember is that um, instead of air, water, and fire, it's uh, air, or rather it's ethers, and then the mighty waters, and then primal fire. So ethers, the mighty waters, primal fire, and then the spirit of, the spirit of, the spirit of. Now in here it says the only one that's the is for the fool, and the other ones just say spirit of. I don't know if how important that is or if that's into even intentional. Um, magician, magus of power. There's a few other magises. Let's just go over the magises real quick. Uh, there's the Magus of Power. It's the only title for the Magician. Magus of the Eternal Gods is the only title for the Hierophant. Magus of the Voice of Light is one of two titles for the Hermit. And that's it. So the three Magises. Um, Magus of the Eternal Gods, you can think of the Hierophant as Osiris when he says, uh, there is no part of me not of the gods. Osiris taking on the role of ruler of the gods. So in that specific context, the Hierophant is Magus of the Eternal Gods, uh, whereas the Magician is the Magus of Power. Um, so, you know, I can define more clearly why the Hierophant is the Magus of the Eternal Gods than I can why the Magician is the Magus of Power, um, other than that it just sounds, it seems self, self-explanatory. Um, the Hermit, Magus of the Voice of Light. So, one interesting thing about the Voice of Light is Kul Or means 
uh, the, the Hebrew words kal or means voice of light. And the English word color means color. <laughs> and if you consider the voice of the light, what is the voice of the light? Oh, well, I suppose that would be the color, wouldn't it? That's interesting. So they, there's a there's a, the, a a book written, uh, the key I think it's called by an Iraqi uh, living in Canada whose name I forget, um, and he he there, it compares a lot of these weird things and speculates that maybe there was a Jewish presence in uh, England in the early days of the formation of the English language. Um, they, another example is that the word love in English most resembles lohev, which means love in Hebrew, and it doesn't resemble uh, licht or amor, which are the two other places that it was, would have been deriving um, the word. So, yeah, there does seem to be a bit of a Hebrew presence in, in England that we don't know about as much that seems to have not been mentioned in the history books. Um, okay, where was I? Priestess of the Silver Star. Now, that's interesting because Arjum Armentum, or I'm probably not saying that right, is the name of the, uh, the order that Crowley founded. And he was clearly referencing the Priestess of the Silver Star or the High Priestess Path that connects de directly from Tiferet to Keter and may be one possible interpretation of the G symbol in the Masonic symbol. So Silver Star. Priestess of the Silver Star. That's just something to memorize. Like if you look at the High Priestess and you think, oh, hey, look, it's the Priestess of the Silver Star, then you're doing well. Um, the Empress, Daughter of the Mighty Ones. That's, uh, well, you could think of Venus or, or Aphrodite having been born from the spittle blood or semen, depending on which version you read, of Zeus slash um, Jupiter, Daughter of the Mighty Ones. Um, the Empress... There's probably more to that that I'm not. Uh, yeah, she's. Uh, if you look at on the Tree of Life, at least on the um, Kircher, no, the other one. Yeah, Kircher. Um, there's Keter, Hokma, and Binah, and then and then Dalet. The path of the Empress connects Hokma with Binah, so she's kind of like at the bottom. She's the daughter of the Supernals, so in that sense, the daughter of the Mighty Ones, maybe. The Emperor has two titles: Son S O N of the Morning. So, you know, okay. And chief among the mighty, which is sort of like that idea that's presented to us, you know, in, in certain representations of King Arthur saying, oh, I'm not going to be your king who rules over you. We're all going to be sitting at this round table and I'm chief among the mighty. So you could think of it that way, an emperor as chief among the mighty. And then son of the morning, S-O-N, you could think of, a, you know, Jesus, son of God or son of the morning. I don't know. Uh, there's something there. The, uh, the, when the sun rises on, in a natural chart, i.e. on spring equinox, then you have um, Aries. You have the sun in Aries, rising in Aries. The majesty of the eternal gods, we already went over. The lovers, children of the voice divine. So uh, now there's a couple of voices. There's voice of light when we're talking about the hermit and voice divine when we're talking about the lovers. So why is that? I don't know. But that's a good question. Children of the voice divine. And then oracles of the mighty gods. What I would say about oracles... Oh, actually, there's, there's something I could say about both of those. Um, the lovers... Uh, one of the things I think in Theoricus you memorize that the tripod is the tool of the lovers. And the tripod is the... Um, 
is a reference to, among other things, this the throne of the Pythia at Delphi, the oracle at Delphi. And she is an oracle, so oracle of the mighty gods, um, children of the voice divine. You could go there with it. Um, they, they are the uh, channels of Apollo who had previously gone into the oracle when it was the oracle of Gaia and killed Python, which was a big sin, and cut off the relationship between mankind and Gaia, the titan who is the earth. So it was kind of a big deal. And so the only person we could talk to since then is stupid Apollo who did that. No, I don't, I, I'll, I'll, I'll edit that part out or, or Kirini Ariadne will kill me. Uh, okay, so the chariot, child of the powers of the waters. Okay, the chariot is the path that connects Bina with Gibura. Bina is the water, you know, waters of creation, the ultimate, uh, the top of the black pillar. So, so it's not surprising, child of the powers of the waters. Um, power is usually attributed to Gibura. So you have you know, kind of that um, cardinal water of cancer f- uh, flowing from Bina down the path to Kibura, child of the powers of the waters, lord of the triumph of light. Now, I just always think of the the chariot, you know, the guy standing there with the with the the whole thing, the whole scene all around, and I think, lord of the triumph of light. Um, but <laughs> beyond that, I mean. The question, you know, what is the triumph of light and how does it relate to water? Oh, okay. Well, life, duh. You know, when the sun and water mix, we get rainbows and we also get life. So there's something. I don't know. Um, The crawdad being a, a primal symbol of life. Strength, the daughter of the flaming sword. That's cool. And leader of the lion. Now, in the, of course, in this, the strength card, usually the way it's depicted is you have the woman leading the lion. So that's easy. Um, but daughter of the flaming sword is interesting. Because, you know, we, the, the, the flaming sword basically has t- is two references. One, the path that leads from Keter to Malkuth. And two, the sword which separates the fallen Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. So the daughter of the flaming sword. I don't know. It's one of those things that it's, I think they're meant to kind of snap the brain like a koan. The sound of one hand clapping isn't supposed to just have a simple answer like, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's interesting. Daughter of the flaming sword. But there's the fire connection, you know, fire sign, strength, Leo, and so on. The hermit, Magus of the Voice of Light, we briefly mentioned... Um, he is a magician, but specifically of the voice of light because he's a prophet. The prophet of the gods is his other title. So that that's pretty self-explanatory, but, you know, might take some repetition for memorizing, just making flashcards and whatnot. Wheel of Fortune, Lord of the Forces of Life. Anybody who's studied just the most rudimentary Buddhism will think of samsara, and that's easy to remember. Um, although Wheel of Fortune... Well, anyway, yeah, no, that, that it works. That's enough. The uh, justice, daughter of the Lord of Truth, and holder of the balances. So, the Lord of Truth. I don't know. My mind goes straight to Thoth. We usually think of justice as being Maat, but in the book T symbolism, she's the Titan Themis. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what that's a reference to, but it seems to 
ring true, daughter of the Lord of Truth, and then holder of the balances. She holds balances. Easy. Okay, we went over hanged man because it's one of the three mother letters. Death, child of the great transformers. Transformers, more than meets the eye. That's pretty easy to remember if you grew up watching Transformers. Um, the other one, Lord of the Gates of Death. And that seems like sort of redundant. So that works. Just takes a little repetition. Um, temperance, daughter of the reconcilers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who are the reconcilers? I don't know. Good question. But it makes sense that she's reconciling and she's a daughter of someone. Uh, the bringer forth of life. That's interesting. It's the path that connects Tiferet with Yasod. So it brings... Uh... Here, wait one sec. Hey, are you on a break? Yeah. Cool. Hey, um, can I, can we take a five minute break? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, okay bye. bye. Thanks. Okay, let's see. Um, where were we? Uh, child of, okay, okay, yeah, the devil. Okay, we were at temperance. The bringer yes. forth of life. So, um, one thing you could think of is, um, if the whole tree of life is the goddess, uh, and Tiferet is the the Christ child, then in order to give birth, that Tiferet has to go down the path of temperance into Yesod. So, hence the bringer forth of life, uh, bringing the Tiferet energy down through into the world of form, into the world of formation, the world of Yetzira, and ultimately down into manifestation into Asiya. Um, so, yeah, no, those are some of the things that come into mind for me for that one. Um, and then the devil, lord of the gates of matter. What are the gates of matter? The eyes. The eye, okay. Almost like the perception of matter. Uh, yeah. No way. And then um, if the devil represents that, almost like it couldn't be like sexual force, but almost like that idea of materialism, then that, that, that would make sense in a way, you know, with the eyes being, you know, the perception of matter and whatnot. Onto the yeah, there's um, basically the, uh, it, it, goes, it goes a little bit into the symbolism and the portal initiation, but one thing about the book T is the people below aren't bound, they're actually holding the chain, um, so the idea is that in order to enter into the world of matter, you have to do it through eyes and that the gate between us and matter is our own eyes. And, um, there's also a lot of symbolism about the nature of, you know, in Christianity, the nature of sin, there's the whole thing about the blind man is without sin. Uh, and you can kind of bring in Hannibal Lecter talking about, you know, the one who covets, covets what he sees every day, uh, that kind of thing. So the, and the eye creates this illusion of distance and separation and obstruction. If, you know, something's around the corner, you can't see it, you don't know what it is. But if you weren't looking, if it weren't for that, uh, you know, the grounding of your own sense of I am in a location by virtue of the senses, in this particular case, the I, then there would not be anything outside of your reach. There wouldn't be anything far away or small. Um, so there's a lot in that. Uh, and, and it's temporary. So in order to get, in order to get up to Typhiret, you've got to get 
past the idea of we're behind the eyes looking out. And in order to get down from Typhirit into the astral plane, you have to pick up the chain on that devil card and say, okay, I'm going to open some eyes and be separate from everything for, for a while. Um, there's also the, the wings of the archangel of death are covered in eyes. So that's interesting. It's a lot there. Okay. So the Lord of the gates of matter, the Lord of the eyes, child of the forces of time. Boom. That's where my mind explodes, especially thinking there's this uh, great documentary, this BBC documentary from the late nineties, uh, called walking with monsters and um or even uh neil degrasse tyson's new cosmos where he talks about the evolution of the eye and uh you know how there were these i think there were protozoa and some of them were able to sense when there was more ultraviolet radiation uh and they would swim away they would like swim down away from when the sun was really bright and then they'd come back up to the surface during the nighttime. And that was the beginning of all eyes in the world. And, um, and you know, it was the product of billions of years because the, the, the ones that couldn't tell would get burned up by the, uh, the ultraviolet rays. And so the ones that survived ended up having the beginning of what we now know as eyes. So for me, they're the same, uh, Lord of the gates of matter and child of the forces of time. Also child of the forces of time. There's a lot. What is the child of forces of time? Well, what isn't anything we can think of that has form and that we can remember or look at or touch is the child of the forces of time. Even a rock is the child of the forces of time. There had to be a supernova at one point for there to be a rock. So that's, that's a trip. Um, okay. The tower Lord of the host of the mighty. One thing about that is host, uh, is, is one of two translations of the Hebrew word uh, zabaot, which means armies or hosts. I don't know. It's like the only usage. It's the only time the word host means anything other than the guy at the party who shakes your hand and tells you where to sit. I, you know, so it's a, it's a biblical thing. So Lord of the army of the mighty. Um, so the tower card, Lord of the army of the mighty. And uh, by the mighty, we assume we're talking about God, but a particular aspect of God, it's being referred to by that particular adjective. At the beginning of the Thoth invocation, they call him the mighty and terrible one. Of course, it's an Egyptian invocation, so it's not talking necessarily about, you know, the Judeo-Christian God or, or whatnot. Um, at least not through the same filter. Okay, where were we? Uh, Lord of the Host of the Mighty. Yeah, it might take some memorizing, but that's, that's about it. Um, the Star, Daughter of the Firmament. Now, the thing with that, and they'll go into it more in the Philosophist Invocation, or the Philosophist Initiation um, in the Star card, but basically, the Firmament is the space between the two ripples in the Aquarius sign. And the reason why Aquarius is fixed air is because it is the space between those two different waters. And the reason why it's the water bearer is because it's fixed air, because no, nothing else would be able to manage the water. 
uh, other than the man, the one who um, has the intelligence to make a bucket and utilize gravity to carry water. Um, the waters above are the pure waters of creation. The waters below are the waters of creation in which creation is already unfolding and has been for a long time now, as far as we know. Um, and so the being that dwells in the space of mind that has access to the waters above and the waters below is uh, the star, the daughter of the firmament, the dweller between the waters. Again, same thing. The moon. Uh, now, that's, of course, the moon card ruled by Pisces as opposed to the high priestess ruled by the moon. Gets a little weird. Um, ruler of flux and reflux. All right. You know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it works. It's it, That's one of the things they talk about with the moon as well as with Pisces is its changeability. It flows back and forth. It waxes its wanes. Uh, the child of the sons of the mighty. Now, the thing I always like to point out about this is it's the only grandchild among the esoteric titles. And I think that that might tie in to the fact that it's also the only uh, path to have flex in the queen scale and then to look at the implications of what that means when the flex are generally thought of at least as far as i know as being the influence of chaos and clepot from below the tree of life usually upon the tree in asia or asaya if you look at the princess scale tree of life there's flex all over it even in keter it's uh it's it's white flecked with gold um and then when you get into the prince tree, which is the level of the astral plane, plenty of them are rayed and flecked. But, uh, but when you get up all the way up into the, the queen scale, which is supposed to be the archetypal, you know, the idea, the level of ideas, the first emanation from the divine of these forces, and for the moon card, that first emanation already had flex in it. So there was already an influence of chaos and the clipoth in the Jungian, Briatic, archetypal concept of the moon card, which I think that says a lot. That and that it's the only grandchild among the cards. So in other words, it's created by us. So, you know, go to the local theater and find out what's in it. Um, you know, horror movies are in it. Uh, a lot of stuff is in it. And, and of course, when, you know, people are pathworking it, that's when... We get, we get into a lot of, you know, sometimes repressed memories and things like that. So it's basically the way I describe it is that there's the front of the head and the back of the head. The front of the head is the conscious mind. It's where we're usually thinking of ourselves as being based. The back of the head for a lot of people is a mysterious and murky realm they don't like to, to get into. But for other people is kind of the place where they connect with their own subtler nature and maybe even that that part of us that we have in common with uh with the rest of the world with the rest of life um so there by based on that i those ideas these traumatic events which are sure to happen i had this horrible dream the other day that there was a baby and i was supposed to i was you know i i put it down in a place that was kind of precarious where i was like uh oh what if he wakes up and rolls over he'll fall off the edge of this I better put him in a better place. But then I got distracted and didn't get around to it. And then later I came back and he had fallen off and his head was all bloody. And, um, you know, I woke up and I was grateful that it was only a dream, but it, you know, 
caused me to reflect on the definition of neurosis, which is when you have you know, you're ne- a, a, a p- place where you're neglected, either you don't get the right food or there's pain or there's, you know, something, a problem, you're crying and nobody's answering. And, uh, and these events start to start to cause us to be, you know, feel like we're not, we're not loved, you know, we're not, we're out of harmony we're, we're we start to get, um, ticks and involuntary, uh, you know, uh, reactions and things like that, and then later buttons. And th- I mean, in our society, we take for granted that everybody has these, and uh, and and it's just a matter of degree. Some people have a ton of them. I know I do. Somebody says some the wrong word in the wrong tone of voice, and suddenly I'm in a bad mood, and nobody knows why. And uh, and I have to sit down and explain what happened when I was four years old that resulted in my reaction. Um, so it's all that kind of stuff is is in the moon card, child of the sons of the mighty. Did you look at the child in your dream? The baby is like your inner child in a way did you look at the dream trying to analyze it from that perspective yeah actually i'm pretty sure it was my left hamstring um because what i've been doing um for one thing there were two babies and i'm pretty sure there were twins and the other one was fine and in his crib and um and so my my left hamstring i've been having a lot of like i injured it um i you know, fell off my porch about a year ago, actually now. And it's been a long process of, uh, getting better. And then sometimes I'll push myself a little too hard in a, you know, like an advanced yoga class and, and it'll, I'll be down for the count basically. And I'll have to call a sub for my own classes that I teach for a few days while I'm recovering. So I, um, it's, it's just basically being mindful of it because if, if I'm not thinking, I'll sit in a way that is the worst possible way I could be sitting for that part of my body. But if I'm more mindful as I go throughout my day, um, you know, like a, like a father needs to be mindful of whether or not his child is going to roll off of something and break his head. You know, um, I, I, and the reason why I think that is because um, consistently in my classes, when we get to the point where we're working the hip flexors and hamstrings, I always talk about, um, how they should, they should comfort that part of their body and love that part of their body as if it were a baby. And, um, I have them hold their, from their knee to the bottom of their foot and rock it slightly back and forth to loosen it like they're rocking a baby or an animal or, you know, anything to, to feel oxytocin and to uh, generate love for a part of the body that normally just gets the brunt of all the worst of it. Basically, every time we get cut off on the freeway and we go, God damn it, or whatever, you know, maybe that's just me. But uh, the, the first thing that happens when that adrenaline rush comes is it goes right into the hip flexors and goes goes right into the hamstrings and right and the re, and there's a uh, evolutionary reason for that that's so we can run from the tiger but unfortunately it happens every time somebody looks at us funny or somebody reminds us of a TV show in which the bad guy that we've learned you know i mean uh, there's a lot of really kind of dumb reasons why we we release these chemicals into our bodies that used to be for survival's sake yeah. um, and uh, and so so i i try to teach people to to generate love for their own bodies, especially those, those, those really tender parts that, uh, where people have so many problems. Cause a lot of the low back issues are tied into the hips and hamstrings and, and all of that because it's all connected. Um, so that's in this society where everybody's sitting in cubicles, I, I put a lot of emphasis on that in my classes. So, I mean, so I think I created that symbol for my own self and then I went and dreamt that I was neglecting one of these two babies. And so it was like, okay, you know, like it was, a. Uh, 
a dream to call attention to something. Makes sense. So let's see. We've got three more. Um, the sun, lord of the fire of the world. That doesn't take much explanation, I don't think. There's very little other fire that isn't the sun. Actually, that's not true. Um, someone was saying, or actually, I was, it was on Star Talk. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was, was talking about how, actually, like, if, if, the sun, if the moon, or rather, if the Earth remains in its orbit around the sun, then in about six billion years, when the sun becomes a red giant, uh, it'll be absorbed into the sun. But if we could somehow slingshot it out of orbit and at the same time tap into the energy at the core of the Earth, then we could probably have humans living on the Earth for another 10 to 15 billion years. I was like, what? <laughs> if we, so some cold Earth, you know, flying interstellarly in, in between um, solar systems, the only thing we'd have to worry about is there's some really harsh cosmic rays out there between um, solar systems that the sun is actually protecting us from all the way out to that layer of the, the, the little pieces of ice out there. Um, Okay. So anyway, I'm getting far afield. Lord of the fire of the world. All right. So notwithstanding the fire at the center of the earth, yeah, Lord of the fire of the world. Um, judgment, the spirit of primal fire. We've already been over that one because it's one of the mother letters. Finally, the universe, the great one of the night of time. Now, that's another one that I wouldn't presume to say, here's what that means, the end. Um, because a lot of these are meant to be thought of and and uh meditated upon and and to be this you know i mean whole books worth of fiction could probably spring out of contemplating the meaning of the great one of the night of time um but just a few thoughts on the top off the top of my head it's the only great one um so you know the universe maybe contains all the rest and uh so that's maybe why it's the great one the night of time so why is it the night of time and and not just of time so that's a good question um from the earth's point of view we can only see the stars during the nighttime so there's that during the daytime of course we're overwhelmed by the sun the lord of the fire of the world um so maybe there's something there Perhaps not. Maybe it's the Grim Reaper or, uh, you know, the, uh, the Archangel of Binah or, or Sandalfon or, or a title for, for someone like that. I don't know. But that's, that's pretty much what I've got as far as uh, helping to memorize those things. Okay, thanks. Um, so a couple, um, yeah. a couple questions came up. So um, what is the significance of this? So memorizing this chart right here does this just help you with the tarot does it just help you get a little bit more familiar with the tarot what's the point of mer uh, memorizing these titles from like a practical sense um, in the in, in the order for, for do they just make this a part of is this just something that like am i ever going to use this and apply this practically or is it just to know that hey you know death is also known as uh, you know the child of the great transformers it's more like it's more like as a golden dawn like from from the from a golden dawn centered point of view um death is the uh the 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 shorthand or maybe even the exoteric 
uh, the, for the masses name for the card whose real name is Child of the Great Transformers or Lord of the Gates of Death. So these are, these are basically the actual names of the card um, from, you know, according to Mathers. And then these other titles were the, yeah, the just the shorter names, the more traditional names, although they did change world to universe because even at that time world the meaning of the word world had changed to mean only the earth and not the stars or anything where prior to that world included everything my other question was um, you know thinking back to when you were a practicus and um, let's say you were preparing to move into your philosophy's grade um, you know, you'd have to travel the path of pay and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, for the tower there, the whole tearing down of the old, um, what did you notice in your life? What was some of the internal alchemy going on within you that you noticed that kind of resembled that, that tower energy? Well, um, just kind of a personal anecdote. I When I got into Philosophus, I... Um, uh, well, shortly after that, my mom died, so I could say that that was a huge change. Um, also, I was taking a lot of acid, and um, so I was kind of going back and forth between working the moon card and working the star card. So I would do, like, uh, you know, I would regress myself all the way back using the ritual to go back in time until I experienced my primal scream, for instance. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, going out in the, in the middle of the night, watching the dew appear on the blades of grass, looking up at Sirius on acid and feeling like, you know, Adam being created in the Garden of Eden. So, so I, was, I was working a lot with those two paths and not as much with the tower card. And then my house caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so um what Jeez. ended up happening yeah <laughs> so so but there were some people that were saying you know if you had worked the tower card you know then this wouldn't have happened and i don't know if there's truth in that but the idea being that um you know that that when when it's time to go through these things you go through it whether you want to or not but if you catch it on the astral plane you might be able to go through it without it having to manifest so severely so what might have happened for example if i had pathworked the tower card in an alternate universe uh if i had pathworked the tower card as much as i was pathworking um the moon card and the star card i might have grown a spine and uh told these idiots in my house to to get out you know and said you know, stop freeloading and, uh, you know, and kind of kept a, kept a better eye on things. The, 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 my big mistake was that at the Temple of Isis at the time, they had a practice where they, you know, they kept change, they kept doing little changes. Like they, uh, they, at one point in the East, they made the curtain white instead of black. So I did that here at the Sanctuary of Hermanubis, which is the room I'm actually sitting in right now. They rebuilt it after the fire. And uh, then at one point they switched they, – they had taper candles on all, all the side altars instead of uh, glass candles. So I did the same thing. And then at one point they started doing a vigil where they'd leave them burning 24-7. So I started doing the same thing. The only problem is I had this broken window that Big Dog, one of the freeloading roommates, had uh, leaned against from the outside and broken – um, and so the wind blew through, caught the western curtain, and blew it right 
up to the flame of that little taper candle in the west and almost burned the whole house down. Um, by the time I woke up and came in here, three of the walls were burning and I tried to put them out with my red bathrobe. So I'm standing here naked with a red bathrobe. Apparently my shoulder was on fire. Um, and so I got rushed to, uh, well, there was some kind of piece of burning cloth that landed on my shoulder and kind of fused with it. So wow. I got rushed to the hospital after that. And, um, Philosophus was pretty long for me. So it spanned, you know, my, basically there was the beginning of Philosophus. I said, you know what? The order's fucked. Uh, you know, they, they, they snuck out and stole my teacher's journal and uh, went to Kinko's and copied it and then passed it around at a secret meeting that he wasn't invited to in order to discuss the, you know, the work he was doing that he was writing about in his personal journal. And then he ended up being so outraged that he left and I held him while he cried at one point. So I was basically like, I don't want to be stuck in practicus for the rest of my life. So initiate me into philosophy, and I'm getting the fuck out of this place. And so that's what I did. And then... Um, so then I started focusing on drama. I directed the glass menagerie, um, and then got into music and we started a band called fall from Eden. Then meanwhile, my mom was still active in the order. She started hanging out with a girl who was a neophyte who was kind of a runaway and, you know, a bad girl. She introduced the two of us. We hooked up. Um, I started going out to the temple again and, um, then my mom died. So... There I yeah. am at, at the temple. I, I'm like, yeah, this place is fucked. I've got people, these poor people from uh, Austin coming up to me saying, you know, this place is fucked and he's a liar and everything's wrong and this is the worst possible thing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. And they're like, then what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm, I don't know. I'm hoping to change it for the better. <laughs> you know, this is like yeah. this is me 17 years ago. And um, so anyway, uh, so I'm just, this is philosophist. And then... Um, then, then the house burned down, and so then I moved in with Gordon, the old beatnik who passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, and kind of like settled down. And I was on painkillers, and you know, smoking a lot of weed. And I started um, painting and hiking. And at around that time, I went up to Portal. So my whole philosophist journey was a tower card experience. I definitely at the beginning of philosophist, I had a mother. I had, um, you know, a house and, uh, at the end of philosophers, I had a burned out house and no mother, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> talk about, talk about a tower card experience, more of an edible tower card experience. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, this one's more like personal since, since yeah. you answered a lot of my questions. So thinking back to EOGD when you were involved, um, and then, you know, say you had you know, fratters and sewers that were making it to, uh, to, you know, the great and bad Adeptus fire and whatnot, um, going past the veil in a way. And, they, and it's, 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 it's supposed to be, you know, once you hit the sphere of Tipperath that you're in touch with, is it some aspect of, of your higher genius, your higher self? Um, do you learn your angel's name at that point? It is said, how, basically my question is, is it, is it your belief that like, that all, all, all the alchemy going through these grades, these outer order grades, and once you get to that point, are you in touch with, with your higher self to an extent, or are there people that you've seen going through the grades and they don't develop that alchemy and they're not in touch with that, that higher genius? I'm, I think we all go through it very, in a, you know, I mean, there's, 
the only thing that the experience has in common for everybody is is the particulars of the of the ritual and the experience um and so yeah like you said there's some people who go through the ceremony and um it doesn't seem to have done anything but i mean it's hard it's hard to say i mean especially the way that they did it in EOGD where you spend 36 hours or a minimum of 21 hours locked in a box and you're allowed to take bathroom breaks but basically you can't help but do a little bit of contemplation while you're in there um and then so you haven't seen light in so long that by the time you you know you see light and then you're looking at the the colorful vault it it has an effect um the as far as the higher genius and the holy guardian angel now I don't know if you've heard some of the recent interviews like with Scarlett Magdalene and the Abra Malin work I think that I I always thought of the contacting the holy guardian angel the knowledge and conversation with the holy guardian angel in 5 equals 6 as a thalamic thing um that in, in Thelema, they talk about how, well, you know, in the beginning, Crowley went through the outer order of the Golden Dawn, and we got to five equals six, had knowledge and conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel. Blah. You know, like, okay, well, that's news to me, because I, I, we don't really... The, the, the osirification of Ani uh, isn't necessarily the same thing as calling on, you know... Um, a guardian angel in the sense of like, uh, it's a wonderful life and he's going to show you what the world would be like without you in it. And then Zuzu gets her petals back and whatever. Um, but I mean, it seems like the Abermalin work is, is, is trying to call on a separate being that, uh, has been assigned to you by some hierarchy. And I honestly don't buy any of that. Um, the, the higher self that you quote unquote, get back in touch with, is never was never apart from you. Um, I I when I use the phrase higher self, which I don't, but the, when I think of the phrase higher self, I think of you know the higher chakras, which blend very like in in a very blurry line with the lower chakras. Where in Puritanism, i.e., Golden Dawn, they think of mankind as being in a fallen state, far, far, far from his 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 perfection, which is in the image of Christ, which could never be Christ, which could only imitate Christ, and blah blah blah. They put as many separate you know light ring pass knots between mankind as God as they can in order to sell tickets. Um, and, you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of systems do that. And the Golden Dawn is one of them. Um, so that all being said, what was the question? Shit. I got, I got sidetracked. No, no, I was just wondering, do you believe that? You know, oh yeah. The, uh, the higher genius. Yeah. So, do, do you believe a lot of these guys that, you know, were, or, you know, fratters and stories, do you believe that, you know, once they hit the grade of Adeptus Minor and, it's and like people, I said. Do you it, believe they're in touch with their HGA? No, it's not that. It's that it's that they never weren't. It's uh, it, Joe Shantz put it well in in relating it to the ruby slippers that Dorothy had along had on all along. It, and I've I've referred to the Golden Dawn as the cure for Christianity. If you were born, you know, um, in in a, in a rational, sane environment where. Uh, you know, like, for example, if, if you were Neil deGrasse Tyson's kid, then you'd be going five steps back to join the Golden Dawn. But if, if, if you have 
you know, enough of a Christian upbringing that you have hangups about it and you feel like you're separate from God and the word God makes you uncomfortable and you think that Jesus might be watching you masturbate and there's, you know, all these weird, these weird tics and neuroses that come from, from indoctrination into Judeo-Christianity, then the Golden Dawn can help cure you of that. And by the time you've gone through the process of the quote-unquote alchemy and you get to five equals six and you have someone whipping you and tying you to a cross and then they say you are now one with the body of Christ and they put a knife on your uh, on your palm with the, some wine on your forehead and it's this thing and there's incense and you're holding a, a rose cross and the thorns are digging into your hand yeah. that you then then you finally you maybe you can admit maybe I am God you know but like if you had been a Hindu then you wouldn't have had to go through all that you know uh, um, so so I mean I I I I think that um, it yeah it's a good it's a good system to deprogram one from thinking that they're separate from God, but it unfortunately also serves to reprogram people into this new thing um, that, that, that is very limited and hi- hierarchical. And, and, and so, I mean, you know, it's, it's a very, like, if someone's goal is to awaken to their true and innermost self, then I would say meditation is for you. But if they're like, yeah, but I really like doing things the hard way and I have a strong affinity for London in Victorian times, then I'd say, well, if you want to take 20 years doing it, you know, and, and, and have a lot of weird side journeys along the way, then maybe the golden dawn is for you. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Paul Foster Case is an example of someone who he, when you read his poetry, he clearly is grokking the oneness of it all. Um, what he, what he also has in addition to that is he's been imprinted with all of the symbolism of the Golden Dawn. So he's speaking in a language that's very familiar to other people that are indoctrinated into those symbols. And also, uh, he's got a little bit of a I, I know and you don't you know, kind of a, this is enlightenment, I'm enlightenment and you're not, yeah, but only, only subtly, you know, um, in it. But, uh, but, you know, so I don't, I, I think that he grew up in a time and place where it was considered, um, blasphemous or taboo to admit that there's anything divine about you being a, being a scummy human. And then he was able to, uh, separate from that society and work with the Golden Dawn system until he was able to awaken to the fact that he never wasn't in touch with his higher self. I think that people who do, who choose to do wrong things um, more or less intentionally are creating a separation with them, within themselves. And that's where it starts to seem accurate when they talk about, you know... Uh, people being separated from their true selves. But it's an assumption, and it's an assumption that's made by a lot of religions that, oh, clearly if you've walked into the door, then you're separate from your higher self, and that's an assumption the Golden Dawn makes as well. And so they tell you, you know, enough times that you're separate from your higher self that you start to believe it, and then you start to want to climb the ladder that they provide you to get back in touch with your higher self, but it's, it's just a cheap trick. Like Ellen Watts said, it's picking your pocket and selling you your own watch. It's really interesting. It wouldn't be better to say that almost like the higher self is basically that part of you, the deepest part of you, the deepest part of your soul. Would you say it's pretty much the, the shaman part um, in, a, in a way? Because 
because I know all of this stuff relates to the Nefesh, the Ruach, and the Nishatma, right? Yeah, At the yeah. core, right? And um, I'd imagine that's what you're talking, deeper levels of attitude in the Jesus. Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on your teacher um, and where they got it. But uh, basically, I'd say that the higher self in this context is the deepest self, yes, but also the most shallow. Um, there's a saying in Zen that... The, it's called the great void, not because it's empty, because it's teeming with life, that uh, flowers that are being created and destroyed at all times and in all places. And so similarly, uh, the true, I like the phrase true self rather than higher self, because um, it just eliminates all of that. It, because higher self, you're looking up at, at clouds or, or you're trying to figure out if it's in your third eye or in your crown. But it, true self I mean, it's it's silly, you know, to look up. You you automatically start looking within your solar plexus, or you you feel it in your heart, or you feel it in your mind, or you feel it in your whole body, um, and so so it includes all these other layers, like as if as if there were uh, a bunch of veils underwater, and uh, and the the higher self is the water, and um, and so the, what happens is this higher self, this true self, is looking at the veils for so long that it sees past the first one and past the second one and past the third one. And then it's seeing all five and it's seeing the interplay between the five and it gets so absorbed in the complexity that, and what, what I mean by this is, you know, you, you're born as a baby and then eventually you realize you have hands that you can control, that there's these other hands, mommy and daddy's hands, and you can't control those. And then eventually they hold a mirror up in front of you and they say, this is you. And at that point, the higher self has gotten so totally confused that it thinks it's the veils. And then it thinks it needs to climb its way back out into a space of emptiness in order to find itself, which might help. But ultimately, it doesn't need to in order to find itself because it was never lost. Okay, excuse me. Do you, um, I've heard you in the past say that you know the Golden Dawn um, is, is like missing. You know, if they were to incorporate some forms of yoga, maybe get more deep into meditation, it might help. Um, definitely would help. Do you think Crowley um, and his AA order him incorporating various forms of yoga? Do you think he was in the right doing that? I don't know enough about the AA to know exactly where or how he incorporated that stuff. I know that um, when they talk about left-hand path, a lot of that was defined by the work that he did. Um, but he was drawing from the actual left-hand path that he would have learned about from Alan Bennett, which comes from the East, comes from uh, cert- a certain sub you know, practices within Vajrayana Buddhism. So... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say right or wrong. It is what it is and was what it was. And one thing that it'll do is uh, people who, um, you know, discover the works of Crowley and work through that will gain what there is to be gained and maybe run into whatever problems there are to be to be found within that system. But I, I, I really honestly don't know the system at all uh, well enough to know how or in what ways he brought in yoga. Um, but yeah, I don't know if, um, I don't know if it's that the golden dawn needs to be changed or updated or, I mean, from my point of view, there's, there's nothing wrong with it 
as long as it's part of an, a greater educational experience, which maybe also includes going through you know, various rites of initiation into, uh, you know, some kind of traditional Sufi system and also, you know, the Sikh order and also, um, you know, a few other things. Um, in other words, if there was like an advanced, if I were to build a college, if I were to build, uh, like a graduate school type, you know, you've already learned your general ed, you've already learned all the stuff that the normal stuff that you should know to be able to get along in the world. Cause one thing, that happens when you, like me, start too young, is you end up specializing in this, and then when anybody brings up anything about anything useful in the world, you're like, I, I don't, I don't know, I, I'm not familiar with that, but I can talk to you all day about the relationship between astrology and other things that are made up. But um, anyway, what was I saying? Shit. Yeah, no, the Golden Dawn is the Golden Dawn. Um, sometimes when. When like, I've observed when people come from a Christian background and they want to be magicians, they want to be bad, they want to be powerful, they want to find some way that they can do that without offending their own inner grandmother. You know, I mean, then this is kind of a lot like my path. This resembles me. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted the, the ultimate powerful thing that also I could, you know, say, well, it's, it's a Christian thing, you know, ultimately. Um, and it appeals to people who are, who are coming from there. Uh, but I'm, I mean, I don't know. I mean, for me, it was temporary for me. Like eventually I, it was, I mean, I can't, I, I was talking to someone yesterday about this and, and, you know, I was saying that the golden dawn is kind of obsolete and limited and the hierarchical structure of it makes it you know, kind of undesirable in a lot of ways. And the fact that it's supposed to be a spiritual system and it starts with putting a hoodwink on and putting a sword on your neck is, you know, it's like that, that that's right where the problems begin, you know? And then he was saying, you know, I really, it, 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 you know, it pains me to hear that clearly your experience with has, has tainted your uh, ability to appreciate the beauty of the golden dawn system. And I replied, Please don't disregard this as emotionalism. The Golden Dawn system is limited. Like, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, so it's like, I, uh, yeah. I'm trying, trying to make a point and people are, it, people can't see beyond, oh, you poor thing, you went through all this stuff that clearly has made you not able to see how great the Golden Dawn system is. And it's like, that's fine that people exist that really want to parade it around as the greatest thing. Um, I, it it has a historical relevance. Um, it had a huge impact on a lot of things, and so I think it's good to know about in order to in order to be able to see kind of behind the veils of those things. Being, for example, Thelema, Scientology, Wicca, and uh, you know the the poetry of W. B. Yeats, you know, and and a few other things that start to become more clear once you've um, started practicing the Golden Dawn system, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like when it's when it's carried out to its most, like if you do nothing but Golden Dawn, yeah, you end up having a blog. I don't know. You know, writing some books about Golden Dawn. Do you, and, do um, you think for for yourself? Um, so you've been like say twenty two years or, or whatever. Do you think you just hit that pinnacle of the Golden Dawn curriculum to where it's like it's worked? It's magic out for you and you've, you've taken it at what it was and almost like it, it's only been developed I guess so far like 
not necessarily, not, don't call it like grade-wise or anything like that, but just like, just everything that, that the inner order has, because, because it represents a set of teachings that, at like a point of time, right? So do you think it's just, they were, they're kind of like lacking, um, you, you know, more of the Eastern stuff that, that you get a lot out of, in a, in a way, do you just think that you've gone through the curriculum and you've, you've taken it at what it is at this point, but now you're able to see um, what it's lacking? In a way. Yeah, it's it's I it's the thing is like I was saying earlier. Yeah, there was that point where I was saying if I were to do a Golden Dawn thing, I'd throw in some yoga. But I'm not thinking. I mean, right now I'm not thinking of that 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 it, if I were to fix it or if I were to turn it into something more like what I would like, I wouldn't necessarily take Golden Dawn. It wouldn't be Golden Dawn Plus. It I I would take out most of it. Um, you know, like like I said. If someone wants to go through a neophyte initiation and have a sword put on their neck and have someone threaten their life with wine, um, that's fine as a historical experience, as a, mm-hmm. a, as a historical creative anachronism experience. Like if you go to the Renaissance Fair, you do some Renaissance Fair shit. If you go to a Victorian Fair, maybe you go through a neophyte initiation. But as far as something that's going to be universally applicable, applicable and useful for humanity um, – you, you know, I don't think it's the Golden Dawn. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to think that if only everyone in the world went through Golden Dawn initiation, then we'd all be fine. But now I realize not only is it not for everyone, I don't think it's even for the people that I thought it was for before. Um, I, I've seen okay. more harm done than good. Uh, and it, but, but, you know, I mean, there's always exceptions. You know, I, I, I kind of go back and forth about it. But, I mean, it seems like the most good comes from when people leave the system. Um, but the way it's written is it's supposed to be for life. So in order to – and now my, my old teacher, Gordon, would say, oh, he graduated when somebody leaves the second order. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be in for life. And then the way they made it in the EOGD was even, even more severe than that. Um, or, you know, it was just – very very strict commitments, very specific and strict commitments. There were a bunch of canons you had to adhere to, and all mm-hmm. these other things. Um, Do you think with um, that's know, not useful to me? I don't think that's. I mean, that's as useful as becoming a priest, um, which maybe is useful. And there's some people that that uh, you know need priests, and uh, you know. So if if there's if there's to be golden dawn initiations then there's gonna have to be people that go through the five equals six and uh commit themselves to that and so but i mean it's got to be a a matter of desire to do it or personal preference or you know and then even for the people doing it they're gonna have days where they're doing it out of obligation and not out of a sense of love for it and uh i don't know it just seems to me like something that was really useful in the late 1800s this one's just for you i i I more in the realms of magic and synchronicity. Um, so I don't think you're actually given like real magic, you know, say in the outer order per se, as much as this stuff That's what they is, say. Right, right. As much as this stuff is mainly just ritual work for, uh, you know, working with the subconscious and almost like tricking your subconscious into making things happen in the world is more of like a way I kind of see it. Um, but that's just my view at this point. But so um, I'm seeing things manifest in terms of like synchronicity, right? So I mean, I may do a ritual and see like subtle signs, you know, just like just like how it would appear in the world. And so I'm wondering, in terms of where you've gotten on your path, and say you as an addict, 
is it pretty much to the point to where you could will things into the world almost like because you're more in tune with um like deeper parts of yourself can you just pretty much think something into existence in a way um i don't know i no more than i could before i don't think i mean i think that um it's for me it's it's being being able to adjust my um you know they talk about the lower will and the higher will um expectation is another mm-hmm. word that that might apply here so like for example um when people say oh it didn't live up to my expectations um does that mean that they're a bad magician or that they're unable to you know accept the world as it is and and you know i mean it it's like the the relationship between kind of the the separate self and the the all self the uh the one and the many we're co-creators with god basically um so so what that means is if you're working with the flow of the unfolding of god in creation mm-hmm. then it's a lot easier to um it's a lot easier. Now I'm trying to think. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked because I'm thinking that there's a good metaphor, and it's an it's an unfortunate metaphor, but it it works with this system since the system is hierarchical and a lot of the terminology is as well. Um, so if you work at a company, and the company has a particular agenda and between the board of trustees and the CEO, everybody's on board with that agenda. So. Um, they hire you and you're working there. So let's say that that's what it's like. If you want power, then you will go along with the agenda because then they'll give you that power that they, you know, because if you're going to do what they want done anyway, then they'll want to give you some employees to boss around and some more power, right? Um, But if you're going to go against if you're going to be like talking in, in, in the corridors against what the status quo thinks is the direction everything ought to go, then they're going to they're going to take away your power and, and find reasons to fire you or at least put you in a position where you can't um, do do much, where you're ineffective. OK, so that 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 sounds like kind of a gross situation. But let's say the company is the universe. The CEO is God. And uh, the company's mission is is good, right? Um, then then as a you know then you'd want to to uh, do what what the company does, be like the company, um, and uh, you know be charitable and loving and 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 all of these things, and then and then the company will increase your power. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you and it's basically like shooting yourself in the foot if you're gonna use your magic to hurt someone because you're really just hurting yourself. Yeah, did uh, did Dr. Robert Word get back to you? No, uh, but I, I don't know if you, he he said not now. Yeah, well he said later, and then he okay. started forwarding forwarding me weird Norse memes. But um, what's his <laughs> name in the in the excuse me in the Enochian. Oh, that was, you know, that, I think that was part that might've been cut out. There was like a five minute, five minutes of the conversation with the the guy uh, that did the Enochian software that ended up 
getting dropped. And I think that was when we were talking about Robert Word. But, uh, Does he know? Yeah. What happened was um, I didn't get exactly all the details because he has a thick accent and I didn't quite understand. But uh, he, uh, he being Jurgen or Jurgen, um, uh, w- was doing something. And then Robert Word contacted him and said, you know, you're revealing the secrets. Yeah. Of the yeah. You remember that part? No, no, no. no. I, I didn't get to listen to that episode, but um, I, I know how Word would be. Not that I know him personally, but he definitely seems more like hush hush about, about right. things. Well, so- but the, the irony is he hadn't revealed anything yet. He hadn't said anything about Enochian. He didn't even know what Enochian was. And uh-huh. so, so it wasn't until Robert Word said that that he said, wait, what? And so then Robert Word started working with him and pointing him in certain directions. And that's when he started making the Enochian software. So, as he, so Robert uh-huh. Word ended up doing the opposite of that by, by acting like he was, you know, oh, well, you shouldn't reveal that. Like, reveal what? Oh, this and this and this and this and this. You know? yeah. <laughs> so uh, now he's <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd really love to get him on, and I'd love for you to pick his brain, man, because I heard this guy's fourth succession from Mathers. I was thinking, wow, it's quite the title, you know. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, like the direct fourth successor from Mathers huh. from back then. Okay. Um, I also know he's a Mason. I know you interview a lot of Masons on your podcast, but I'd love for him to jump on. I don't know if he's just, like, afraid that he may spout something or that you may ask him, you know, certain questions that he may have to go past his, uh, you know, the obligations and whatnot of the grades, but, um, but man, I'd love for you to get him on there. Uh, I'd love for him to reach yeah. out. I'll send him a note. Cool. All right. Cool. I don't have any more questions, but I sent you just a little bit, just for your time. And Thank little, you let so me much. Let me let you get Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Okay, cool. All right. We'll talk soon, okay? Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Bye. No problem. Bye-bye. Thank you, Anonymous, for interviewing me on my podcast today. Also, thank you for creating a world in which ex-Scientologists can feel free to speak out their experience without retaliation. Thank you for your part in the Arab Spring, for saving WikiLeaks, and for making Visa and MasterCard shit themselves just for our amusement. Thank you, as always, to Susuma Ueda to Camille and Kennerly, and to you. Until next time. Good night.